Hello and welcome to Being Boss number 54, brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. All right, you guys, Emily and I have just wrapped up a ton of client work to close out 2015, and we thought that we would jam on all things client. So client relationships, everything from firing a client from hell to keeping the dream clients, well, dreamy. So this episode is going to be great for any of you service-based creatives who rely on clients for a paycheck. Also, I think it's going to be really great for all the people who want to be great clients. Ooh, right? Right. (laughs) Get your business together. Get yourself into what you do and see it through. Being boss is hard. Blending work and life is messy. Making a dream job of your own isn't easy. But getting paid for it, becoming known for it, and finding purpose in it is so doable if you do the work. Being Boss is a podcast for creative entrepreneurs brought to you by Emily Thompson and Kathleen Shannon. Check out our archives at lovebeingboss.com. Okay, you guys, first off, it's that time of year again where it is time to get your receipts together. So one of the things that I love about FreshBooks, Emily was giving me a big thumbs down right there, (laughs) but really um, one of the reasons why I love using FreshBooks is because they make expenses and tracking expenses so, so easy. Everything from whenever you enter your expenses, it automatically puts it into tax-friendly categories. You can sync up FreshBooks with your bank account now. So if you use a debit or credit card, it will automatically import your expenses from your bank account so you're not missing a dime. FreshBooks is an easy to use online cloud accounting system designed specifically for creative entrepreneurs who did not major in financing. They are there to help you run your business and make you look like a total pro while doing it. Try FreshBooks for free today. Go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and select being boss in the how did you hear about us section. All right. So today is all about clients. I'm so excited to talk about this one because I feel like it's a topic that I talked about a lot whenever I first started freelancing and working for myself, but now I kind of take it for granted. That said, my main designer, Liz, has been on maternity leave for the past eight weeks. So I've been doing a lot more client work that typically she takes on. So it's given me a whole fresh perspective on client work. Welcome so back in- to it, Kathleen. <laughs> Welcome back. And you know, and I, I love it. I love my clients. It has been so fun being able to work on their branding projects and taking them through the braid method. It really is dreamy, but... It's not always dreamy. No. It can go south fast. (laughs) I know. And I'm going to – so we're recording this um, mid-December. We're totally going to get transparent on this. Um, And Kathleen and I are both – this is our last day of doing client work for the year. So, like, we're really just, like, coming to an end of all the client projects we've been working on all year. Um, And I'll have to tell you, I'm going to have to try really hard not to just – spiral into bitch fest today (laughs) because this is always the hardest part of the year for us wrapping up like I like to wrap up all of my client projects before the end of the year and we've had um 
I've had a couple snafus that have um, made it clear that I think my time of working one-on-one with clients is coming to an end. It's it's bittersweet because I have certainly met some of the most amazing people and absolutely enjoyed doing one-on-one work with some really awesome bosses. Um, but doing client work is really hard. Like it's really super draining working one-on-one with clients. And there's a reason why after a couple years and in business, most of us stop doing one-on-one work. I mean, it really keeps us from being able to move forward in a lot of ways. Um, But I also, I want to jump in though and mention that I think part of why it's draining is because you're getting so much client work you're doing websites, which is a whole other ball of wax. Like right. when you're doing someone's website, you're basically doing their business, which is why you launched Envy Boom. But you have also grown your team in the past couple of years. So you're not just managing clients, you're managing a team. And right. it's really hard to do both. And you're doing all this, um, what we've been calling one-to-many outreach, where you've got the podcast, you've got the newsletter, you, you're just doing a lot of stuff. Like you're probably spread thin. Oh, well, I I am. And I also have to like, have to say that having the team has been has made a world of a difference. I mean, this time last year, I was frazzled and like, ooh, I can't even actually, I remember being on a coaching call with Brooke Castillo, which we interviewed months ago. And like, she was doing some like one on one quick fire coaching with some people that were in a group that I was in. And I got on and I was like, I'm about done. I was like, I have like four site salons in the next two weeks so that I can enjoy my Christmas holiday. I was like, talk me off the cliff. (laughs) What did she say? Well, she pretty much told me she was like, well, are you actually going to not be able to enjoy your holidays if you don't launch these projects? And I was like, well, no. <laughs> and she was like, right. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where she just, I don't know. Perspective. Talk- I know. Exactly. Exactly. Which is exactly what I needed. And But between talking to her and experiencing last year, especially because it was our first year of Indie Booms. And again, it's really important for me to launch all one-on-one projects by the end of the year, just so like I can close the books on those things and get fresh in the new year. Um, it really made it important for me to prep my team this year to take that load off of me, which they have. They totally So you have. will still be taking clients. You're just not as hands-on with them anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So so I am much less spread thin this year than I was last year, hugely. Um, but even then, like working, one on, working one-on-one with clients is is a draining experience. You are one-on-one giving a client all you've got. And if you have more than one client at a time, and most of us do, unless we have a client who's like paying all of our bills, which is rare, then um, then you're giving lots of people all you've got at any given time. And then compound that with holidays or like tax season, you're right. It's like we're, whenever this launches, it'll be right in the middle of it. And if you are gathering your own receipts, God bless you. <laughs> I'm glad I have David for that. But um, but working one-on-one cl- with clients is can be really draining work. And one of the things that we have found, and one of the things you want to talk about today, is how to manage clients. Because managing your clients is what can be the difference between super frazzled, you hate your job, and having really dreamy experiences, even with not dreamy clients. Management makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, I mean, 
I feel like whenever I first started working for myself, my goal was to become best friends with all of my clients. And that's just <laughs> not the case anymore. Right. Um, not that I don't want to get along, but I've always been really turned off by that funny website, Clients from Hell. I mean, don't I get me wrong. I love that it. website so much. <laughs> I mean, some of it is so true, but but I think that the idea of... I think that there's something that happens in a creative industry, and I saw it a lot whenever I was working in advertising, where you walk into a meeting and your client already hates you. It's like, for some reason, you're the enemy. And I swore that that would not happen whenever I work for myself. My client will not be my enemy. Even if we're not best friends, you're not going to be my enemy. Um, I, I just don't want there to be any defensiveness or questioning in motives whenever it comes to how I work with my clients. And I feel like it really begins from knowing yourself first. So knowing your own positioning, your own expertise, and your own offering. You have to know what it is that you do so that you can tell clients, whether or not they're dreamy or not, that you can do it. So one thing that I see happen a lot with creatives is a client will come to them and they'll say, hey, um... I want to hire you. I really like everything that you're putting out there. I want to hire you. And then you say, okay, what do you need? And they're like, I don't know. And then the, the creative says, maybe we should just start with coffee. (laughs) Right. And the creative's like, well, I can do anything. I can do, I can do anything you want because a lot of creatives can do a lot of stuff, but that doesn't mean that you should. And it doesn't mean that you should take on every client that has cash And especially don't take on every client that doesn't have cash. So I really do think it is about knowing your own positioning, knowing your own expertise, and knowing what it is that you offer is the first step in having really good client relationships. I agree. And I think the next step in that is knowing how it is that you're going to offer what you offer. So one of the things that... I am, my team gets entertained by me and, and how it is that, that I, I have to super structure how I manage clients and how I manage projects because website projects are huge. Like they are absolutely huge. There are tons of moving parts and I have to know how it is that I do what I do to a T or else it's going to derail and be a nightmare. So for me, one of the one of the key points of managing a client is knowing what that means. So, you know, if you're working one-on-one with them, do they have your cell phone number or are you communicating only via email? Or are you using project management software? And if so, for what? Um, so knowing what I was going to you- say, like, even before that, like, let's talk process. Like, so I knowing your own process. So you have the indie boom process where yes. you can tell your clients, okay, first we do this. Then we do this. Then we'll meet here. Then you'll pay me here. And then we'll do this. Right. So it's very organized and reassuring. And it is how you deliver what you do. And the same thing with Braid Creative. We have our Braid method. So our clients know before they ever hire us that we're going to have three meetings and two coaching sessions. And this is what you'll get. It's very clearly outlined when these things are going to happen. Exactly. Which for me, one of the one of the there are two key points, I think, whenever it comes to managing clients. 
One of them is set expectations. So whether it's what it is that you're going to do or how it is that you're going to do it being your process or how it is you're going to do it in terms of like the finite, like who's doing what and when and how are you communicating about it, setting expectations and not going into projects um, where you're just like, okay, let's do it. Even like high five and then run into a brick wall. (laughs) Okay, but before even that part, before setting expectations, I still want to talk a little bit about positioning yourself so that you're attracting dream clients. Mm -hmm. And I think another way to do that is to show only your best work and only the work that you want more of. I see too many creatives populating their portfolios with half-assed projects just because it's something. I would rather see one of your very best than 10 of your mediocre. Um, So show only your best work and the work that you want more of. Right. Well, and, and like on the flip side of that, if you are looking for someone to work with, look at their portfolio. <laughs> okay. I have to say, I just hired a contractor without looking at her portfolio. <laughs> I know that you did this, but you also met her and knew her. I know. And, and I loved her. Yes. this That was a little bit of a different scenario. Don't get it but all yes. correct, Kathleen. No, no, no. <laughs> but it's a good point because even our clients that hire us, sometimes they'll come to us on referral and someone loved working working with us and they'll tell their friend, you have to work with Braid and they will not have even looked at our website. And so we, in part of our, before a client ever works with us, whenever we're just emailing back and forth, one of the things that we say in our email is take a minute to look at your, to look at our website. If you haven't already, we explain a lot of how we work there. You can also see samples of our portfolio work here with a link to our portfolio. Then we literally say if our style, you know, vibes with your style, Let's talk. So one of the things that we're doing is self-selecting out. If if our style does not resonate, don't hire us. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And for me, that's also kind of always like almost red flag. Like if someone is just coming at you, which and red flags. Let's talk about red flags. Yeah, I really want to talk about red flags. So red, I love that we call them red flags. Red flags um, are when you are talking to a potential client and it doesn't matter what you do, whether you are a designer or a developer or a coach or, a, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, a red flag is when you're talking to a client and then something doesn't seem quite right. So either they, they don't know your name or... <laughs> Or they haven't looked at your portfolio, or they don't care about your portfolio, or they are—they immediately start talking about how they don't have a budget, or um, I don't know. What are some of your red flags? Um, my red flags are if it's a dude. That's kind. That's one of my. Red I know flags this is awful, no, but like literally, if a guy emails me, I'm instantly suspicious. I completely agree. So I've worked with a couple of men in my time. And this is this is not to like a, I don't work with men thing because I definitely have some male clients and, and some of them are fantastic. But most of my worst clients have been men because men's way with communicating, especially with women, is a little messed up. <laughs> and I mean, we're just getting really honest here, but I think that our brands attract a lot of women, mm-hmm. including being boss, but we also attract guys or people who are a little more gender fluid. Like, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of people um, on their branding and 
I won't say that I don't work with guys because I do, mm-hmm. but we're talking red flags and yes. red flags are just warnings. Yep. They're not necessarily a make or break. They're not deal breakers. Red flags and deal breakers are not the same thing. I've had red flags before that ended up being really great clients. So it's definitely, it's definitely not a make or break thing. Um, and but men is definitely one of mine too. That's really funny that you said that. So yeah, so men is one of my red flags. But again, like I love for you guys. Anyway, um, <laughs> contact another we'll another red, red flag, flag. Another red flag is we specifically like working with people who have personal brands, so mm-hmm. solopreneurs and that sort of thing. Um, so we have found that a red flag is someone who comes from the corporate world. They have a really hard time embracing their personal brand because they always want to bend back into this like corporate conditioning of being everything to everyone or being professional. I put that in air quotes. Um, so that's definitely a red flag. But then recently I figured out over the last year, another red flag is solopreneurs or creative entrepreneurs who service corporations. So even though they work for themselves, if their dream client is a corporation, that is also a red flag because, again, they're trying to conform to what that culture deems as professional. Um, so that's another red flag. Another red flag is probably, I mean, again, like the referrals and we're definitely an industry based on referrals. It's great getting referrals. That's huge. But sometimes just because someone else loves us doesn't mean that their best friend will. And there's something about going through the braid method process that makes our clients feel really heard. They're seen, they get a lot of confidence out of it, but you can't sell someone on confidence. So that's what they're trying to sell their friend, but that's not what we're trying to sell them. We're trying to sell them a brand and business vision. So if they don't need a brand and business vision, we're not a good fit, but sometimes they want to hire us anyway because their friend loves us so much. So like that's kind of a red flag. Um, And then other ones are maybe if someone emails us and they give way too much background or they have like 20 years worth of content under their belt and it's just like a lot to dig into or another red flag is not having enough information. Like they might just email and say, how much does it cost? Right. So, okay. One of mine is, and I want to also specify that these red flags, again, are not make and break. Um, and also are pretty specific to us. Like, obviously you may not have the red flags and just because if you're in a group that we would red flag, it just means that you're not our dream customer. Not that you're not a fantastic person, but one of my red flags is, um, people over 40. I know. Again, not that that is like a bad thing, but one of the things that I have discovered in the fact that I am that I work online with people and all of our conversations except for coaching calls are going to be in project management um, software or in emails. If people are over really over about 50, they have a really hard time communicating via written format and need to get on the phone to get anything across. And we don't work that way. I think also maybe that's a red flag for you. Okay, like my dad is almost 70 and he's very tech-minded. Like he wants to be in the world of Twitter and I think that that's great and Instagram and Facebook and all of that. But at the same time, it is a new world that is hard to navigate and it's something that, um, that I'm 
really trying to be compassionate about because I'm starting to get to an age. I'm not old by any means, but where new technology is coming out, like I don't even know what Snapchat is or how to use it. And so then I imagine that's how my dad feels about everything. Like I'm curious about it, but I don't know how to use it and it's intimidating. So I think that for, for you being a web developer who is helping people build online businesses, we grew up on the internet essentially. And for people that didn't grow up on the internet, there's not that same kind of shorthand that you really like having with your clients. So it's not necessarily just that you're over 40, I don't like you, but that there's this lack of shorthand. So obviously, again, red flag, not red a deal flag. breaker. I, mean, I just launched a couple of websites for really fantastic creative entrepreneurs over over 50. Um, but it is one of those things, whenever they first contacted us, it was something I had to wade the waters really well. Like, how are they communicating in these first emails, which is a whole part of the, of the client management process. You have to know how to feel people out. <laughs> It's really, really important. So I know that if someone contacts me and they um, they are older, then that's something where we're going to have some very careful conversations via email to begin. Because if you can't communicate with me in a way that is going to be effective for me to get the job done, then... I'm not going to be able to effectively get the job done. So just for us, red flags are how you very narrowly define who your dream customer is. And if people fall outside of that, you simply weigh the waters a little more carefully. Not meaning they won't be great clients because I have really great men clients over 50. That has totally been a thing. Um, But it is something where if you want to have dreamy engagements with your clients, know what your red flags are and how to deal with them to correctly tell if they're going to be a dream client or not. Okay, so let's say someone gets through the whole process mm-hmm. of the like onboarding and you do decide that they're a good fit because their needs and wants and overall vibe aligns with your expertise and offering and overall vibe. So then what? Like what are the next steps to guaranteeing a good client engagement? And for me, the next step is just, I mean, I guess the onboarding process in general, which exhausts me right now to think about getting into onboarding is where you set those expectations I mean we have like a getting started pdf where we say all right you know we may have had a sales call with you but outside of coaching calls we're strictly doing email for like whatever communications and project management software for project specific communications it's where we set that expectation of here is how we work we have these systems in place and if you want us to do our job for you at the best way possible you're going to follow our systems Um, and if you don't want to follow our systems we can't guarantee that we can give you the best the best product for example for example we recently had a client and through um through some mistakes made on our team side the client ended up with one of our cell phone numbers and so the client ended up texting content for a website to Chris's cell phone. And I didn't have that content. Like, it's my job to load the content. But because it's not being loaded into our project management software and it's being sent to Chris's phone instead, there was this little bit of a snafu where what the hell is going on? And I had to reset expectations immediately. Sent her an email where I'm like, you know what? Like, I understand this is probably easier for you, but it's not easier for us. And if you want us to do our job, you have to send us 
content in a way. That Wait, the whole... and so is she just like typing out her website content on it, her phone? She and was sending same? product photos and like titles and descriptions and pricing. Okay, I can't bash that because I'm I'm a big fan. You of You are iPhone a camera. cell phone user, and that like and and this is again where you sort you set your own expectations and boundaries. Like I will not give a client my cell phone number. That is something that I will not do. I, oh no, me either. I've done it a couple of times in the past, and all but maybe once it has been abused. So like for me, that is like if a client asks for my cell phone number, red flag. <laughs> really big red flag. Um, so setting those expectations during the onboarding process, though, is one way that you begin the client management or no, that's how you continue the client management process. I also think that having the process for booking a client is how you like show that professionalism that you just continue carrying on through the onboarding process where you set clear expectations and you absolutely stick to them. Like this is a client management thing. This is a parenting thing. Like <laughs> You set expectations and it is your job as the parent in this relationship. I feel like you're talking to me right now, Emily. <laughs> oh, I'm not. But do you feel guilty, Kathleen? I, I'm feeling judged right now. No, but maybe we should talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's about have or setting expectations and sticking to them. And it's not even like... Like, I'm kind of known for being the tough love, get your shit together person. And it's because, like, I create expectations and boundaries. And I absolutely expect the people that I set them for to follow along. And if they don't, I will tell them and redirect immediately. Um, And, like, having these really great processes, how I keep that super professional relationship um, and manage clients in a way that gets really big projects done. Hey bosses, did you have a case of FOMO? That stands for the fear of missing out. When you saw all the Being Boss magic go down for our Being Boss vacation in New Orleans? Fear not friends, because we are planning another boss vacation this spring in Miami! Miami. <laughs> So it was really hard to figure out what location to go to, but we've never been to Miami. And the reason why we do these boss vacations is to cultivate our creative pack, see different parts of the world, get some face time with each other, connect with each other, and live the boss life. So to learn more details about this boss vacation, just go to lovebeingboss.com slash Miami. We hope to see you there. Okay, so I have a tactic for our listeners right now whenever it comes to your onboarding process because, again, the idea of outlining our onboarding processes, I feel like we've done it before. Like We both have these conversation slides that we attach to our emails that make our process very visual. Um, We use canned responses in Gmail and have systems outlined in our – for me, it's in my Google Drive, a system outline so that my virtual assistant can send emails, set up meetings, and it's the same process every time. But what I would recommend for our listeners is if you want to create a really good onboarding process or system, start to write down just on a piece of notebook paper everything that you do from the time a client contacts you to signing a contract. Like what are all the exchanges of conversations, emails, phone calls? Just write down everything that you do and start to figure out systems around each step or where you can consolidate steps. That is a really great way to create an onboarding process that is really authentic 
and matches your own style because Emily and I could tell you all day what we do, but it might not necessarily be the right process for you. So yes, do that. <laughs> Write it all down, figure it out. Yeah. But I wanted to talk a little bit about contracts and payments for a minute sure. because I feel like contracts. So one thing that, you know, we both do is attach that PDF to our emails and it, it kind of sets the expectations in a very visual, friendly, casual way. But then there's also contracts, which is really the legally binding document that says, here is what I'm doing for you. Here is what you will get. Here's how it works. So a lot of the information that is in my process email that's very friendly um, and visual is repeated in my contract. Again, in a very friendly way, I actually took all the legal jargon out of my contract except for the stuff that makes it possible for me to sue if I have to or vice versa. Um, so that it's just very friendly so that people can actually read it and use that document to know when we're meeting, exactly what they're getting. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that contracts. If you don't have a contract, you need to have one. I agree. And I want to get back to this just a second. I also want to go back to the onboarding process. If you are hiring someone who doesn't have a good onboarding process, you can pretty much guarantee that the rest of your project is going to go about the same way. (laughs) And I would say... Like, that's not always the case, but what a good onboarding process does, it starts before they ever send you their first paycheck, and a good onboarding process really reassures your client, and you can start charging a premium for your expertise because you're being professional about it. Right. Yes. So really, it just makes you more professional. Right. And people want to pay you more. And we'll exactly. take you more seriously. So back onboarding and Yeah, and amazing. they'll take you more seriously through the whole process. They'll trust you and feel more reassured through the whole process. They will be less likely to second-guess you. So that's a really good point, Emily. Um, but contracts, I see too many people getting into business with acquaintances or friends um, or even just other creatives that they really like and not – outlining a contract. I do a contract for everything. I don't (sighs) care what it is. I don't care if it's free or for trade or if you're my best friend or my sister. I've never worked with my sister, so that doesn't really count. But like there is a contract involved. Um, I think that actually whenever you and I have worked together there, we do contracts like if it's a big project. Yeah, I feel like um, now I feel like maybe what we did is signed one major contract at some point saying all indie boom braid projects follow these rules yeah and I think now it's just when we exchange money it's I think that's how we did it oh no I want to say even now like with clients we do it every time we do a a contract for everything oh see so I actually delegated my contract systems down to our virtual assistant so I don't even know what we have contracts (laughs) on anymore well and I think David signs them so I don't really know either (laughs) I think that we still do contracts but whenever we did contracts and we still do do them, but um, outlining, and it can be simple, you guys. Like, don't let contracts and all of that stuff overwhelm you. You can find templates online. Just ask another creative friend, too. Like, hey, can I see what you typically include in your contract? Yeah. Um, and here's the deal about contracts, too, is that you can never guess everything that's going to go wrong. So there are standard things that you can include, like cancellation fees, revision fees, Um, if they don't pay what happens, but basically what you want to do is think through every worst case scenario and your contract should outline the exit strategy there. 
What do they owe you for what percentage amount of work is done? Like, that's my big thing. If I've already taken you through half my process and you decide you don't want to work with me anymore, you're still paying me 50%. Or, you know, sometimes it's even more. Like, let's say you front load your deliverable and you just don't finish at the very end, but like your deliverable, you do all the work at the beginning. Maybe even though they've only spent 25% of their time with you, you're still charging them 75% for your work done. So just kind of figure out what that looks like along the way. Um, and it's also never a bad idea to hire a lawyer to look over your contract. Um, that's something that just now, five years, six years into business, I'm really starting to get more serious about, um, especially when it comes to intellectual property and trademarking and copywriting and all of that stuff. But for simple client contracts, basically outline what are they getting, what are you doing, how much does it cost? And that's going to be really good for covering all bases. Agreed. Um, You know, my first contract I got from, like, I actually have a book over here. It's called Business and Legal Forms for Graphic Designers. It's a book I picked up on Amazon and I went through and I copied and pasted multiple parts of multiple contracts into a contract that I also that I combined with one that I got online (laughs) or something like that. Like you can totally bootstrap a contract. Um, We hired a lawyer to do a contract whenever we launched Indie Boom. So because it was such a high priced long engagement with our clients, we decided to get legit and get a custom contract drawn up. And we still use that one for Indie Booms. Um, and then we just sort of tweaked it for, um, for our one-off website projects. Um, and again, we do, I do contracts for everything and, and not even because I'm afraid something's going to happen or I'm expecting it, but because of that like professional level, like even if it's a free thing that you are just, you know, working for trade with someone, having a contract will hold you both accountable to actually doing what you're saying you're going to do. Um, and it'll make you look like the uber professional that we know you want to be. Um, and again, like I love it whenever people do really plain language, um, contracts. Like I feel like that's so approachable, like so much more approachable. Ours is not because it is such a a big engagement that I don't care if it's approachable. You're signing my contract. (laughs) But you also want them to read it. Yes. Yes. Okay. So even though it's a big one, like my contract isn't longer than two pages. Like it's not like an 18 page document where I'm asking for your first child. It's just, it's just like, it's just covering both of our asses in case something, something happens or, you know, having an act of God clause, like if, an earthquake happens, what happens? Or um, this is something I want to add to my contract. And David and I have talked about, we haven't added it yet, but I recently heard of a pause clause, which will allow either party to pause a project. If say one of the biggest pain points we have with websites is clients not getting us content in time to actually launch a website. So if a client isn't going to get us content, then either party can ask for a pause in the contract for however long with the understanding that whenever you're ready to come back, it's, you know, with our schedule and not just all willy nilly. But I think a pause clause is a really cool thing to add and something I, I want to add. I love in the future. that. And I know, I was, right? I was going to say that, I will, I mean, I don't love that for me. I would never do a pause clause. It would kind of be like a, what's going on? Because <laughs> right? our, well, because our method is not as long term engagement. Right. It's over six to eight weeks. So if there's a pause, it's probably because something pretty dramatic happened, either personally or professionally. But I do really love having a timeline built into how I manage my clients. Mm -hmm. So I think that a timeline, and even for how I manage my own projects, like even whenever you and I are launching things for Being Boss, 
getting a timeline in place keeps everyone really accountable to doing their part and also sets, again, that expectation of knowing when everything is going to be done. So for me, timelines are huge just as far as hitting my own benchmarks and hitting my own milestones and hitting my own deadlines. Um, I include a timeline in my contract, but also in an email. So one of the things that I do is set up every single client meeting because I know how long it takes me to do the work that I do from start to finish. So we have five meetings total, but I'm scheduling them all out from the beginning. And one of the things that that does for me is it allows me to see my schedule in advance. It allows me to book out 12 clients at a time without feeling too much of a squeeze or knowing how I'm going to be able to handle it. Um, so that's huge for me is just that timeline. You guys all know that I love my Google Calendar. <laughs> I use it for everything. So I include um, my client meetings in my Google Calendar. So one thing I experimented with that I'll actually share here as far as project management and working with clients is I... Um, and Val Geisler talks about this too, but I filled out my dream week and even a dream quarter of what it would look like to have X amount of clients and to space out all the meetings in my calendar before I ever even close the clients. So like one, this is kind of like chalkboard effect. So if you don't know about the chalkboard um, magic, it's basically getting a chalkboard and drawing blank spaces to fill with future clients. And listen to episode number, I think it's 48 with Jay Pryor. We talk about the magic chalkboard there. But I think that creating space in your Google Calendar is kind of the same thing where maybe you schedule out all of your client meetings in advance and then you start to fill those up with clients as they come. It's a really great way to stay accountable to how much time you want to spend working. So let's say you start to get more clients and you're already booked up. It's a good problem to have, but you might say no for your own work-life sanity. Sometimes it's just hard to say no whenever you don't know what your calendar actually looks like. You might think that you can take on more than you can, and I'm totally guilty of this. I said yes to far too many things in 2015 because I had no, like, landscape of my calendar. So... I agree with that. I um I actually found a new app yesterday. No, earlier this week. Hold on, I have to. It's called Timeline. It was two ninety nine in the App Store for my Mac, um, and it works with your like iCal, and um, it's really spectacular. It allowed me to like actually map out all of like our indie photography projects, as well as like Corey's development projects, as well as the Being Boss projects, and it's all just like out there. So I know like what sort of client client bulk I can take. It was pretty magical. Wow. Okay. So I got your Evernote where you were like, I've booked everything out for the next four months or, you know, scheduled it all out. And I was like, what the hell, Emily? (laughs) Like, who are you? I got a new app. But now I know it's because you've got, have an app. Got a nap for that. So no, yeah, booking things out is really, really important. I want to like mention you were going back to timelines. Um, you timeline out your payments as well. And I mean, we do as well. We yep. have monthly payments for Indie Boom, which makes that really easy. Um, but you include payments as part of that project timeline, which ensures that you get yourself paid on time. Yeah. And it takes the money conversation out mm-hmm. of the picture. So it's not awkward. We're just saying, okay, and then you pay me at this point. So that's really nice. So let's talk about managing clients when it comes to them not paying. I've never had that. Awesome. Well, okay. (laughs) Since, Since launching Indie Boom especially, we haven't had that happen until recently. 
Yes. Well, and I want to talk about how I manage that situation because okay. I am a client management like badass. Like I have a way of managing going south moments with such panache. <laughs> <laughs> That my clients love me even whenever things start getting sticky. So I recently had this happen. And um, David had told me, you know, we had a client or we had a payment that had not come through. And I was like, all right, we'll wait a couple days. It's fine. Like, we'll see what happens. And it still hadn't come through. So I told my entire team to stop working on this project. And we like this is like the week before potential launch of this project. So stopping work on it was kind of a big deal. And I wrote an email to the client where it was like, first and foremost, I've told the team to stop the project. Let's talk about payment. (laughs) And I outlined to her like, you know, money was due on this day. You guys have been really great paying so far. I'm pretty sure it's just a little a little snafu. We need to get this taken care of or nothing else is happening on your project. It was paid within two hours. So I know that a lot of people struggle with having clients not pay for things. And this is also one of the reasons why I built IndieBoom. Because as a service provider who who works with clients and, you know, gets paid in payments and especially sometimes those last couple of payments may not come through. The reason why I structured IndieBoom the way I have and the reason why I've restructured our one-off projects in a similar way is that I am never working for free, (laughs) ever. So I'm not getting paid at the beginning and the end of a project. I'm getting paid at the beginning and the middle of a project or every month during a six or 12-month project so that if for some reason I'm not getting paid, I stop work and I'm not out anything. And this structure, it's a little like weird for our community of people and not one that has to be adopted by everyone, but just because it's not the norm doesn't mean that it's not badass (laughs) because being able to hold ransom my time and the time of my team for, for payment for things that people want, um, puts the power back in my wheelhouse because as the professional, It is our power, (laughs) I think, to keep. Um, But also, writing very clear. A minute ago, I said there are like two points that I have in terms of managing clients. One of those is setting expectations, and the other of those is say what you mean. Whenever it comes. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Say what you mean. Yes. So, whenever it comes to asking for payments or whenever it comes to dealing with a bad situation, which I know we'll get to in a minute. It's not about flowering up your language with with lots of metaphors and, and nonsense. It's about being a boss and saying what you mean. And if you aren't going to continue working because you haven't gotten payment, say, I've stopped working until I've gotten payment. Um, or whatever it needs that needs to be said. I think the most boss you can be comes whenever you just say what you mean. And I think along with saying what you mean is telling them what you want. Like, what yes. is it that you want them to do next? Yeah. So, oh, yes. That is such a huge one. So often I get in, like, middle of, well, and not even me anymore, but long time ago, whenever I was learning, like, how to do this, it was, you know, clients saying, well, I don't know what you need from me. Well, let me tell you what I need <laughs> in but very plain language. It may have been, I, I, I use this for lack of better words, but it may have been your fault 
that they were saying, sure. I don't know what you need oh, from me. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Because they didn't understand what content meant. Or they didn't right. understand that they needed to hire a photographer to take their photos. That you weren't going to do that for them until you launched in DVD. Right. Well, and, and, and that all comes into, you know, saying what you mean and telling them what you need. And at some point, I didn't know that I needed to tell people what I needed. Like, I expected them to know. And so I'm telling you the lessons that I've learned over my last six years. I love that. Good. Tell them what you need and say what you mean. (laughs) Emily here to talk about running an efficient online business. Doing business online is all about solutions. Solutions for billing, time tracking, project management, scheduling, and each solution is only as good as the integrations that make your whole business work in harmony. When our pals at Acuity Scheduling wanted us to share their awesomeness with all of you bosses, one of our first points was how do you integrate? And they surely do not disappoint. Whether you're a FreshBooks user or married to Google, send emails with MailChimp, AWeber, Constant Contact, or Mad Mimi, or maybe you use Zapier to make all the things work just the way you want them to, Acuity Scheduling makes sure your meetings are in line with how you do business online by integrating with all of these and more. Schedule clients without sacrificing your soul. Sign up for your free 60-day trial of scheduling sanity at acuityscheduling.com slash beingboss. Now let's get back at it. So um, one of the things, I think that we both like communicating by email, which is awesome. Um, and we've talked before about keeping emails really concise. You and I even send each other emails like this that are bolded, headlined, bulleted, highlighted, and me and my sister even. And then a final call to action. And then a final call to action. (laughs) And I love, so like one of the things I do whenever I'm managing my clients and where I'm sending them emails is I only ask them one, maybe two questions at a time. So that way they answer the question and I bold it. So whether it's the meeting time, even setting up our podcast interviews, I don't send everybody everything at once because it's information overload. So, um, and that's really hard for me to not overload someone with information because my process is so in-depth. So again, that's part of like making it visual, hopping on Skype. I have a few different forms of communication that that really humanize everything that mm-hmm. we're doing. So I, okay, so let's just get into this communication. I will not. So one of the things that you said, you won't work with a client if they won't work within these systems. I won't work with a client if they won't Skype with me. Like we need to get face to face time because what I feel it does is it makes us all so much more human. Um, we're people working as people. And I also think that it helps me do my best work because I can really feel their energy or their vibe around their brand. And I can see what's really rising to the top because they get excited about it. Um, I can ask them more questions about that. So I really like getting on Skype with my clients. Um, but also about communication. Well, I, this might be a little bit further, but I'm going to talk a little bit about like what to do when things go bad. So like you send that client, things didn't go bad yet, right? Because they just, right. ha- they were only two days late on their payment, but you said, I've stopped working until you can pay. Here's what you need to do. Pay this amount here. Right. Um, for me, I recently had a client and she's super lovely, great person, but a little bit tricky whenever it came to 
the literal graphic design of the project, like just very specific and particular. And one of the ways that I got really say what you mean was in an email. I was like, I, I just don't know. I honestly don't know what to do. Like, you know, and I, I got really vulnerable and I was scared that maybe it would make me not look like an expert, but at the same time, I wasn't clearly understanding what she was asking for. So I said that I'm, I'm not understanding what you're asking for. I'm honestly starting to feel a little frustrated around, you know, this is like our eighth round of revisions. And then I said, can we hop on Skype and just talk about this? So that was the way that I really wanted to turn it around. I wanted to humanize the situation again and not make it into a us against them kind of situation, which is easy to do. It's easy to villainize your client whenever you're frustrated or scared that you're not doing a good job. And that's what happened to me. I felt like I wasn't doing a good job and I got scared and I wanted to blame my client. But then whenever I took a step back, I realized, no, no, this is a person who's paying a lot of money to get the, what she wants out of this. I just need to better understand what she wants. And I also want to better say what I mean by giving her creative rationale, by brainstorming with her, by getting her in on the process a little bit more, by collaborating rather than acting like I know it all or that she doesn't know anything. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think... I love that you touch on that humanizing piece because I feel like that's a lot of times where people stop. Like that's the part where everyone just throws up their hands and says, I'm done. Like this person is emailing me, you know, talking to me like a bitch or <laughs> like whatever it may be. And then you just throw up your hands. But I found this too, whenever things get really tough and I, and I agree, like I want as much of my communication written as possible because whenever you talk to me on the phone, I'm going to forget shit. Like that is absolutely going to happen. I'm going to forget what we talked about or forget what I told you to do unless I'm like writing it down in the process. And even then having that stuff in writing is very important to my process. It's something I've discovered over the years and something I don't move on very often. But there are times when things start going south, when the best thing that you can do is rehumanize each of yourselves to the other. Because whenever you're talking online to someone, sending email after email, you're not talking to a person. You're writing letters to the computer. I mean, even and whenever I'm texting my husband, I'm like, are you a real person? <laughs> <laughs> are you an emoji? Um. <laughs> no, actually, I tell him to send me emojis. I'm like, whenever you say okay, period, <laughs> it makes me feel like you're mad at me. I need... Are you mad? I need a monkey emoji. I need a heart emoji. I need a kissy face emoji. Kathleen, you're a little hot maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm have to watch the way I text you. You're going to think I'm pissed all the time. I'm very much okay, period, person. Whatever. Oh. You're texting me emojis of crystal balls and star, <laughs> like sparkling stars. Oh, I, I I have learned to enjoy the emojis quite a lot lately. But that, that is, that's a fairly recent, this is me getting old. Like, I just discovered emojis. Um, but no, going back to humanizing, though, I think that's really important. And, and I know that a lot of us who hide behind our computers to do the work that we do, we're all introverts or whatever it may be, get on the phone. Like, that sometimes can be one of the most professional best things that you can do. I have saved many a project because websites are hard. Like whenever we're dan like deep into a website and a client is like, why can't this move six pixels to the left? And it's because coding doesn't work that way. Like sometimes I'm that client for you. <laughs> 
I have to get on Skype and look at Kathleen and go, look, honey. <laughs> but no, sometimes getting on the phone and hearing each other's voice and hearing the frustration in, in each other's voice and like and finding that calm and calming place and explaining yourself in the moment or whatever it may be or having them explain themselves because clients, you know, clients are not always right. <laughs> is it can it can be the difference between a project that literally just ends and everyone's pissed and shit hits the fan or things continue on and launch happens and everyone has a great day. Okay, I have a couple other client management tips that I want to share is I always invite them to tell me what they don't like. Yeah. I think yes. I think that our biggest fear as creatives is that rejection and I get it. I mean, I've been kind of not a wreck for the last eight weeks, but <laughs> but I've been doing so much design work and I take it so personal. I mean, I yeah. really love doing branding design. I love it. Whenever I'm in it, I'm in it. And then whenever I'm presenting it, I'm like, oh my God, what if they don't like it? Yeah. And so the morning before, I mean, Jeremy doesn't even want to be around me because I'm so nervous leading into a meeting. I almost have stage fright about it. But one of the great things about our process is, one, we have a mid-checkpoint where I put together a mood board, and I invite them to tell me what they like and don't like. So, one, mm -hmm. it makes them feel really heard. Two, I'm getting a lot of really good information. Three, it's just not as personal whenever you're inviting the rejection, right? Yes. So one of the things after I present a final brand platform that I like to do, um, that me and my sister both like to do, is ask them to take a few days to look at it and to think on it. And if they have any questions or if they want to tweak anything, and 99% of the time they don't really want to change much at all. But we tell them you don't have, if, if, you're, if something feels sticky or isn't quite right, you don't have to solve the problem. That is our job. You just need to explain to us, kind of more direction of like what you're going for, what you don't like about it. So in some ways we ask our client to kind of skirt around the problem by describing the perimeter of the problem. And then we can get to the core and actually do the problem solving, if that makes sense. Sure. Yes. I think, I think that getting your clients to tell you what they don't like about something is really important. I, and I, I love having clients like doing that about my process as a whole, like whether it's what I'm delivering them or simply how it is that we work together. And it's part of the feedback process of like, tell us what it is that didn't work. I think it's very important. And I, I want to bring up, we did, we did a joint project with Brenda Mangalore. It was a braid indie boom project. And I remember in one of her branding meetings, her talking about, she's a fine artist and she was talking about how whenever she shows a painting to a client, it doesn't bother her if they don't like it because it's not, they're not telling her that they don't like her. It's just their views are a little different from her. And that's not judgment on her part in a bad way. It simply is opinion. It's and so, so amazing. I take that yeah. shit so personal. <laughs> I know you do. I feel like I if someone do. doesn't like do my too, stuff, though. they're calling my baby ugly. Everything I make is ugly. Um, no. <laughs> I, I do a little bit. I'm a, I feel like I've grown out of that a little more, a little more as I've gotten older and really as I detach myself from web design, because even though I'm damn good at what I do, I don't see myself as a web designer in the capacity that I know you see yourself as a graphic designer. Like I just, 
don't. It was something I fell into, not something I went after purposefully. (laughs) So in that case, I find myself detaching from it a little bit more easily. But at the same time, it pisses me off (laughs) when a client doesn't like what I send them. Okay, so one of the things that I feel like I'm a good client for you is that... I rely on you for your expertise, not just around design, but yes. strategy. So again, with this like problem solving part, I will come to you and say, okay, here's what I want to accomplish. Here's what I want to be able to do. What is the best way to structure that? Like I'm asking you for what you think. And then at the same time, I come to you with my ideas. Like, hey, I'm thinking this. And it really does feel more collaborative. And obviously that's our relationship that we've built over, I think, years. And now we have a shorthand around it. But at the same time, like, for example, we're about to redo Being Boss, like the Being Boss website. It's going to be probably a lot of me relying on you or me saying, hey, I've got this idea. Like, what if if we're doing a blog, but we still want our podcast in a sidebar? And then you might be like, okay, but let's try it this way. Right. Well, and and I think that's a really great point to, to bring up. And I, I think... All everyone listening to this is going to be somewhere on the spectrum of starting out and being an expert. And if you're starting out, your clients are going to give you a lot of direction because you're starting out and you need it. But if you are someone out there who's paying an expert, if you are paying high dollar expert to do what they do best for you, trust them or hire someone who's starting out. Like nothing grinds my gears more than being hired by someone who doesn't bother trusting me because I'm damn good at what I do. (laughs) And more times than I can count whenever like Corey goes to develop, if a client has been very difficult for me in terms of design, Corey will come back and say, what is this that I'm looking at? Because the first couple mock-ups were mine and were fantastic the last couple were theirs. And and like and this is getting into a really deep, scary place. But really, it's one of those things. If you're going to bother hiring an expert and paying the high dollar for it, trust them to do what they do well for you. Or go pay less for someone who's not that, as much of an expert. I find that whenever I start to get most fr- frustrated in a client relationship is whenever I go from being, you know, respected authentic expert to pixel pusher. So I love graphic design. Again, I I do see it more as a tool in my tool belt now. And I love doing it probably. um, I love doing it for myself and for being boss and for braid and for our clients on occasion. Um, And I love creative direct, creative directing my team But um, I get the most frustrated, yeah, whenever I feel like I've just become a pixel pusher. And so, like, recently, for example, this is a good client management thing, and being willing to say no to a project, I was referred um, to a potential client by someone that I really respect who's really great, and she knows a guy who needs an ebook done. And so, one, red flag, he's a guy. (laughs) Again, like, he might be great, but it was... And two, it's the winter. Things are a little slow. So I was like, okay, like, let's chat. And obviously, I'm not going to turn someone off just because they're a guy, but let's chat about what he needs. He literally just needs layout and design. He already has a branding team. He already has all these things in place. So if he just needs an ebook laid out, I'm not the girl for him. Like, he's going to be paying a, a premium for that. 
whenever there are so many other designers that could do that. So I actually even got in the Bing Boss Facebook group, went to our files where it says, what do you do? And I went to the designer section and a few of the bosses that have been more active in the group that I kind of know or recognize, I copied and pasted their information to them. And I said, contact these people, you know, they might be able to do it and do a really great job. And again, I'm not saying that they're not experts because they're doing it. They're just on a different place in their scale or they might need some money. Okay. And so then let's say this, let's say they take on this job but they don't necessarily want jobs like that, but they could use a paycheck. Don't put it in your portfolio. So this like circles all the way right? back around. Yeah. Absolutely. I've done a couple I've done a couple of ebook projects like that in the past that like they're not in my portfolio anymore. <laughs> they got removed a long time ago. Because sometimes you do just wear to do things like that. And I, I enjoy doing things like that occasionally. Um but yeah, I think oh, what were we talking about? Client communication. Okay, I have a question. We got derailed. Have you ever had to fire a client? Absolutely. Me too. Good. I think we should all do it. I'm actually in a place right now where I kind of want to fire a couple of them. Oh, no. (laughs) I hate doing it. And again, I will do everything I can to make that never happen. So that's why we started from the beginning with your own positioning and your own offering and red flags and all of that. But whenever it does come to firing a client... And even now, I don't feel like it feels like firing anymore like it used to. Now it feels like, hey, you know what? It turns out we're not the best fit. And I think that there's someone who could do a better job for you. And that's the God honest truth. Whenever things aren't working out. You're actually doing them a favor. Like like when you get, if you're at a place where you need to fire a client, you're doing both of you a favor. So so this is one of the reasons why I decided to build Indie Boom. So I had been doing one-off projects for a really long time and was really sick of being used honestly as a web designer who just knew skills and I'd become a pixel pixel pusher Um, I was designing and developing websites that weren't launching because the clients weren't actually serious about it and so I was pouring my heart and soul into things that just got deleted a couple months later and I mean shit like that I was sick of it so I decided to build Indie Boom which you know long-term engagement so that I can actually get into businesses and help them build websites that actually work for them and all that jazz but I also wanted to elevate myself to coach because no longer am I pixel pusher like developer do what I say but I'm actually going to help you get along and something that I found and websites are huge projects like I cannot say that enough times um and like you need to be a coach almost to get through these big projects and a lot of our indie booms, not all of them, we've had some of the most dreamy engagements. Lindsay Kluge from Ginger Tonic or Ginger Tonic Botanicals that we had on a couple episodes. Brenda that I brought up a minute ago, ideal clients. Like I just want to hug them right now. But most of our clients have had what I call and what we call in the studio the moment of reckoning. <sighs> Where I literally have to send them an email to tell them to get their shit together. Okay, but do you feel like if you're having a moment of reckoning with a majority of your clients, does it mm-hmm. make you reassess your process? Because whenever I get a string... All the time. Whenever I get All a string time. of clients where like things just aren't going as smoothly as they could, I always... Not to blame myself or to flog myself or anything like that, but it is looking at, okay, what am I doing? Like, What is my positioning? Why am I attracting this? What in my process, where in my process are there holes that could be filled with more productive or efficient systems? 
Right. So yes, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, we hired Val this year to help us with our systems. And we were having some, and, and again, not bad problems because we continue, they were not like firing clients. So we weren't firing anyone. Um, and it wasn't even that we were attracting the wrong clients. It's just that whenever you're working six to 12 months with someone, they're, they're become, or they're, we come to like the peak in the mountain where they just need help getting over the top. And as the coach, that's my job. And so that's kind of been a, a side effect of going into these indie booms where I found myself like at some point during many projects, and usually this is like they can't decide on the direction their website needs to go in. Well, I'm not here to help you figure out your business model. I'm here to help you build a bit a website around your business model. Okay, like you said they stuff. can't figure out the direction of their website, but I think you meant business. Oh, yes, I meant business. Or like, yeah. So I that's, help them with websites. That's a big thing that I see happen a lot in website. Whenever it comes to building your website, like that's whenever the rubber meets the road. Like what yes. is it that you're doing? How are you making money? And I feel like that's whenever a lot of questioning comes up. So I do feel like that gets taken out on the website designer, developer, coach. Right. So the moment of reckoning is usually the place where I tell them to start making decisions, basically. Or like we currently have a project and again, it's not like in a firing scenario, but like coaching capacity, she was late for multiple deadlines, missed multiple meetings, and now her website's not going to launch on time. Not my fault, not my team's fault. Moment of reckoning came where I sent her an email. It's like, you know, we still have nine months left on this project. If you want this to work, you're going to meet your deadlines. And I think that comes like that place where making crystal clear expectations and saying absolutely what you mean is where is where you make a living doing what you're doing, working one-on-one with people. And certainly, like, I could have done it better years ago, and I have to do it harder now because there's such engaging engagements, but it's absolutely required on any part of the spectrum. Have you ever had a moment of reckoning with me that I didn't know about? No, no, you have been dream clients. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, well, and, and, and again, it's not everyone. You would know. You would not be a question. Because it, it's usually one of those emails where there are a couple of, like, bolded sections and, like, a very clear call to action, which usually... Okay, so my moment of reckoning with you was we're starting a podcast. <laughs> Right. The moment of reckoning with you. You need to make a decision. decision. Are we doing this or not? Because like really that's where it is. And that goes back to multiple episodes that we have done where, you know, we talk about focusing and making decisions like as coach, it's my job to help build better entrepreneurs and help them launch websites and do what they say and want to do. Um, And like, I don't know. That is obviously the very far extreme of of having to manage clients, but it's something that I'm damn good at. Like I had to do one recently and Corey, Corey on Slack said something to me about like, it's, it's kind of eerie, like how it is that you can make people do what you need them to do. And I've thought about that a lot. Like I struggle with writing for my blog and things. And it's because I have to write crazy emails. <laughs> all the time like I am a writer I'm an email writer (laughs) pro email writer 
<laughs> I am. But it's really important. And, and it makes me like I again, I manage huge projects and I manage clients on a scale that would probably make most people listening to this barf. Like my brain is tired at the end of the day because of the things that I have to manage. But I also love what I do and I love these one-on-one projects and I do indie booms because I believe in what they are, but I couldn't do them if I didn't manage clients like a boss. That's exactly right. And I think that one thing I want to say, like the client love, I love my clients, even the ones where it starts to go a little sticky at the end of the day. I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of what they've created. I'm so honored that I get to be a part of that. And I think that that goes back to that higher purpose part of really knowing why you do what you do so that you Mm -hmm. don't become resentful whenever things get tough because things are going to get tough. They just are. Oh, absolutely. And so we spend a lot of the time on this podcast talking about clients that where it's a little bit harder, but I want to say that even the dreamiest of clients that become your best friends, um, they also deserve a professional level of management just like everyone else. So absolutely. Well, and I I think that just goes along with like looking as a professional or looking. Yeah. Looking like a professional, being a professional, professional. (laughs) right. Um, because dreamy clients are dreamy because you manage them perfectly. Because even the dreamiest clients, if mismanaged, are going to have a shit time with you. A hundred percent. Yes. So like client management is everything and, and it is how it is how you build relationships. I mean, I have clients that I've worked with for years and I'm the hard ass that I am with them as I am with everyone else. Um and it's it's like that that level of management that makes them trust me to build their online business. Um, so, you know, you may not be building websites. You may just be, you know, it doesn't matter what, if you're coaching people on their health or if you are designing their living room or if you are, I don't know, designing their brand or designing an ebook. Like you have to manage them so that they see you as the expert so that you can do your job the best way you can. And Whenever both of whenever all the things like come together in magical synchronicity and you have found the right client and they are, you know, they are being well managed, they're allowing you to manage them and your management is impeccable, then you end up with the dreamiest client scenarios. And those those client relationships are why I keep doing what I do. Amen. Amen. Oh, I love them. Appreciate the hell out of me too. (laughs) Thank you to all of my clients, but also thank you to all of our listeners, because even though being boss doesn't have clients, we cannot do what we're doing without our listeners. So I hope that you guys are getting some value out of our podcast. Right. And so now it's time to manage you. You should absolutely go sign up for (laughs) our newsletter, Being Boss Facebook group. Do what I say. <laughs> and come hang out with us in and come hang out with us in Miami. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about that. And then I'll show you how sweet I actually am. <laughs> so <laughs> we are having another Being Boss vacation in Miami. We've already launched it to our NOLA bosses. So the bosses who came with us to New Orleans. Then we launched it to our newsletter list. So again, another reason to sign up for our newsletter is that you get early bird access to things like our vacation. You're the first to know. 
We have limited spots. NOLA sold out really fast. I'm suspecting Miami, especially after um, January, is going to be filling up fast. You know, if you're sitting there in the cold right now, just close your eyes. Think about palm trees and sand and the sun on your skin. (laughs) And then go buy a ticket to Miami. (laughs) So this is another vacation. We're limiting it to 75 bosses. We're going to be doing a masterclass, structured workshops, a live podcast recording, and then a lot of free time. This is first and foremost a vacation for fellow bosses to connect with each other and hang out and just have a really good time. NOLA was magical. I suspect that Miami is going to be a blast. So we hope to see you guys there. Just go to lovebeingboss.com slash Miami to learn more. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find show notes for this episode at lovebeingboss.com. Listen to past episodes and subscribe to new episodes on our website, on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Did you like this episode? Head on over to our Facebook group by searching Being Boss on Facebook and join in on the conversation with other bosses or share it with a friend. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week. up my gain just one more notch because my little um sound thing is like little well you're loud in my ears i mean i'm trying to put my face right up in it just for you Corey. <laughs> there you go Corey. there you go he loves his job <laughs> How could he not, I mean, right? we got to make it worthwhile somehow. Right? <laughs>